Hello, this is Michael Canfield, and thank you for joining us today on The Dog Watch. A dog watch is an evening shift of early or late duty, or the people who undertake it. This dog watch considers the natural world and the things that help us experience it, from dogs to watches and everything in between. Ultimately, it's a place for us to go wherever curiosity takes us. On this very special episode of The Dog Watch, we have the opportunity to visit with the Trinidadian Canadian songwriter and author Anselm Douglas. We discuss his early musical development and influences, the writing and meaning of the song Who Let the Dogs Out, as well as his recent album and writing projects. There is no better introduction than music, so we start this episode with Anselm Douglas's track, Two Days. Today on The Dog Watch, we turn our attention to music and have the great fortune to be joined by Anselm Douglas, who, aside from writing the most recognizable dog song in existence, is a Grammy award-winning songwriter, Black Canadian award winner, and a performer of both traditional Caribbean and soul music. Anselm, welcome to The Dog Watch. Oh, Michael, thank you. Thank you for having me on your program. Um, I'm very honored that you would even consider me, seeing that um I, I am I am not too um too knowledgeable about dogs and all that, but hey, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> well, I'm here. So thanks a lot for having me. Of Thank course you very much a, for having me. Yeah. You know, it's a great pleasure and I just have to say I'm excited to talk to you and, and to get to know you a bit. Are you in Canada right now? I had the sense that you live No, I'm at, I'm in New York. I'm You're in New York, York right now. Oh, are you living yeah, in New York, in New York or I'm I'm just here on a what you call a music work visa oh wow yeah well i'm trini trinidadian canadian but i'm here in the u.s so people wonder where do you really live i say you know what i live wherever night catches me man that's where i live (laughs) (laughs) oh i like that i might borrow that sometime if it's okay i really like that turn um so so you're new york how is it there right now is it starting to look like fall a little bit or it's, it's get, we're getting there. We're yeah. getting there. Some of the trees are starting to turn a little bit, but you know, it's nothing like it's nothing like driving up the four hundred in in Canada to heading towards Sudbury. That's a whole <laughs> different ball game. <laughs> so, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Um, so, you've lived your mm-hmm. life at least in two different climates, right? The Canada yeah. mm-hmm. and Trinidad. How do you feel about winter? I love winter. I love. I always tell my son. I say, you know what, Kyle? Let me tell you something. If you're cold, you can dress enough to get warm. But if you're hot, you could take off all, you could be naked and you're still hot. 
<laughs> so if I'm if I'm cold in the winter, you know, and, and I'm fortunate enough to have good warm clothes, yeah, and that I can I can stay warm, then it, it doesn't affect me. But when it's hot and it's sticky and you could be naked, as they say. You're still hot. So I like winter. <laughs> I like winter. Uh, well, so you, you've you lived in um, nor, uh, North America for a while, uh, up in Canada. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. sort of in your early life, I I was curious about kind of your early experiences, especially around music and maybe starting there. I understand you were born in a small town in southern Trinidad. And I'm curious about your earliest memories of music and what kinds of music you were surrounded by at that point. Well, I, I, I wouldn't go as fast to call it a town. It was a little village. Yeah, it was a little village where everybody kind of knew everybody. Um, which was nice, you know, back in those days, anybody could have disciplined you. You know, you didn't have to be family or your parents. You know, anybody could have pulled you up and, and say, I'm going to tell your parents. And, you know, <laughs> by the time you get home, you're sure you, you could get you, get a, a spanking because, you know, miss, miss somebody heard you swear or miss somebody heard you say something. And your parents didn't used to ask to find out if they were if they were right or wrong because adults won't lie on a child. So you, you, you might get two slaps on your butt because <laughs> you were disrespectful. But I grew up in a village. And the funny thing is my grandfather, my mother's father, he was um, mostly responsible for um, the construction of the community center, you know, in the village. But even before and I remember this because I was about four years old. My granddad died when I was about five, right? And um, five going on six. But I remember being a little kid and the community center was under my grandfather's house, like downstairs. It was a makeshift community center. And I remember as a little kid, I was really, really small, you know. And I remember them putting, you know, the crates that soda would come in. It used to be wooden back in those days. Now, now it's, it's plastic, but it used to be wooden back in those days. And they would put the empty soda crate for me to sit on so that I could drum. And people would come up from all through the village to see this little boy, this little four-year-old boy drumming and drumming among big men, you know. And we're talking about folk drum, what we call like African drumming, you know. Right, right. So um, um, that was my first real memory of, of music. And the, the next memory I had, was right under that same house because there was a kindergarten school. My aunt used to run one in the village, you know, and I was getting ready to graduate and I had to sing with a girl in the school. So I'm just about (laughs) five years now, right? I'm just about five now. And the song I had to sing, it's a relatively popular kid song. It was, um, under the blue bridge, under the sea, pom pom pom, true love. I don't know if you know that song. No. For me, my darling, true love. And when we marry, we'll have a family. And a boy for you, and a girl for me. <laughs> it was, it was, so I had to sing, I had to sing that song with a girl called Donna. I remember her name. And when it was my part to sing, I got stage fright and I ran off the stage. You know, so that was, that was my, that was my, I had to sing, uh, you know, under the blue, I don't know what under the blue bridge mean. I think that's a word. Under the blue bridge, under the sea, pom pom pom. True love for you, my darling. True love for me. Okay. And when we marry, we'll have. A, and anyways, long story short, I ran off the stage, and that was my earliest 
memory of actually being on a stage. Right. Fortunately for me, my mother, she would put on concerts in the village every year. And we all had to, it was all villagers, no real actors. So, right. And then my mom, my mom had a, she, she, every year she would put on a concert in the village and we'd have local playwrights do a, do a skit or do a play for us and we'd have local talent, just a community thing. And that was the next time I remember being on stage and I was acting and singing. And then from there I moved on to singing in the Pentecostal church where I grew up, you know, and I started singing in the church and I had my own little band. I don't know if I could call it my band, but I was the lead vocalist of the band, of the group. It was, uh, uh, what was the name of the group? The Exodus. Exodus was the name of the group. And we, we, we um, it was really cool. I would play drums and I would sing while playing the drums. And sometimes I would just do lead and we'll have another drummer. So we would switch and it, it used to be so much fun. So what kind of what kind of music did Exodus play and when and how old were you when you were in that group? I would have been about 13, 14, 15 coming up through the years right there. And um we would do traditional gospel music, you know, what you would hear in a North American church. Um we would we would do covers of bands like um The Imperials and stuff like that, <laughs> wow. you know, okay. and yeah, yeah, so uh, regular gospel music from you would hear in an American church anywhere, and um, and and but you know what? It, it was good that I grew up in a time where we were exposed to so much. Because when I was growing up, I listened to music from the Carpenters, the Captain and Tennille, um, the Jackson Five, um, you know James Brown. Um, what's her name? Uh, this American American Indian girl. Um, oh gosh, I can't remember her name right now. But this so so you know, every, you could think about it. We listen to it. Wow. Okay. You know, Eddie Rabbit. Um, um, everybody, you name it, we listen to it. Would you get this on mm-hmm. the like on radio stations there in in the village, yeah uh-huh. yeah because we didn't have a lot of radio stations like we have now. And I'm not talking online stations. I'm talking actual radio stations that you can go to made of brick and mortar radio stations, like, you know, buildings. And there's so many of them. Like you could go into one building and they would have like six or seven radio stations right there. Wow. And I'm talking state-of-the-art, beautiful boards, nice interview rooms, really good stuff. Right. But back then we only had two radio stations, which was 730 and 610 Action, and they were all on the AM band. We had no FM stations. <laughs> you wow. know. So you were listening and, to um, all this on AM and on AM, AM, yeah. And on Sunday evenings we had a show called um uh The Hit Parade with Dave Elcock, and he would play like the ten or twenty top songs, and then we had we used to get Casey Kasem. I'm sure you know oh, Casey sure. Kasem. We used, yeah, we used to get that. So we used to get all this music. You know, it was so much fun. And and I remember when when we would um, move aside our furniture because we had polished wooden floor and put on socks and I would dance like James Brown and split and, you know, you're a kid, you know, so you're having fun. You put on your socks and you said, I asked my mom, do I, do I look like James Brown? Do I look like James Brown? She said, James Brown is not a very good looking man. <laughs> 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 we 
fun era, you know? Yeah. <laughs> we had lots of fun growing up with music yeah. and all that stuff. And me and my sister, my sister was, both of them would write. They, they were always writing. And, you know, being third, you had to, there was always this kind of underlying competition going on between siblings. So I, I started writing too. And right. I, I, I'll tell you a story that I only told once before. I kid you not. Wow. All right. I, to, I told I told my, my publicist, and he said he's going to use that. So maybe the world knows now, but I only told my publicist, and now I'm telling you. Wow. I had a girlfriend. I was like seven years old. Come on. <laughs> I, had <a> <laughs> <laughs> I had a girlfriend, you know. Now, if you like a girl and she likes you or she smiles with you and waves to you, that's your girlfriend. Right. You know, and... <laughs> You know, the innocence, you know, it's, that's my girlfriend. So I am now writing her a love letter, man. <laughs> I'm like eight years old. I'm like eight years old. I kid you. Mike, listen to me. And I started off writing this letter. Dear Donna. This is another Donna. Not the same one I saw on the stage. This is another Donna. And I spelled dear like the animal, I spell D double E R. I'm like seven years old, and my sister found this letter, and I couldn't, I couldn't downplay it. I couldn't. It, it was just, I they they made fun of me till I cried, you know. And and years after, my mom had that letter saying, "Oh, you know how to you know how to pick up chicks, and you can't spell." <laughs> So, but uh, I, they made me cry. They made yeah. me cry, you know. Yeah. And um, I just decided, you know what? I am gonna, I'm gonna write. And I just started writing. Up to today, my spelling is is horrible, but I still write. Right. Well, you know, because we we have spell check now and we have right. all that stuff. So yeah, so <laughs> that's funny. I'm good. Uh, I'm good. Yeah. Well, I I feel honored to have that. You know, the the second telling of that story in existence on on the, <laughs> yeah. this program. So, so. You did the early stuff that you were listening to seemed like a, a lot of stuff on the radio, et cetera. But there was also a music scene in, in Trinidad at the time, right? With a mm -hmm. lot of the early, I guess it was Calypso and then you call it Calypso Soka, Calypso and right? then Soka, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Lord Kitchener and those folks. Um, how did that influence you? Was that later or... Um, how did that well, interface with your other musical interests? Well, because of the fact that we were exposed to so many different genres, and Calypso being, you know, or, or local music, you know, you, you knew all the Calypsos as soon as they play on the radio. When the carnival season come around, you know, you know, you were, you were, you were well aware of Calypsos and you, you, you knew them all. Right. You know, so I, I, I think I just, I just was fortunate that way to be able to do Calypso and still do a convincing R&B, right. you know, coming from Trinidad, you know. Right. Um, and uh, I remember when I was about 17 years old, I could have been about 17, I, um, I started working at my uncle's hotel. Could have been 17, 18. Yeah. And I started working at my uncle's hotel and he didn't really have a DJ. So I started playing because the hotel had a, like a, like a dance floor downstairs. Right. So if you come from the rooms upstairs and you come downstairs, there's an area where you could dance or go to the bar and that kind of stuff. And I started playing there. And I, you know, I, 
I stayed there until I, I joined the Coast Guard when I just turned 20. Because hmm. I turned 20 in July and joined Coast Guard in October, you know. Um, I, I turned 20 on the 23rd of July and on the 15th of October, I ended up joining um, the Coast Guard. Wow. And I, the music in me, I started a band in Coast Guard. Okay. <laughs> started a little, a little Coast, a combo, a little five-piece band. We started <laughs> in Trinidad. And it was cool. It was uh -huh. cool. You know, we, we never played anywhere other than in Coast Guard, but it was cool. Okay. And then after I did my six-year contract with them, I'll tell you what happened. I I was recording with a band called Fireflight. I got I got a gig with a band called Fireflight. And the thing is, this was a traveling band. But being in the military, I wasn't allowed to just go traveling and doing my own thing because it's it's a whole different life. So I knew my contract was coming to an end and I had to make a decision. Am I gonna stay and make a career of Coast Guard? Or am I going to, you know, um, leave and try and make a career out of music? Music has been, I, I guess, the only constant in my life from right. since I was four. Right. It's, it's been there, you know. So, yeah. um, I, after my six years, I decided, you know what, I'm going to come off the strength, and that was it. Hmm. But I, I. What I did, I did some courses while I was in the Coast Guard, like, you know, coastal navigation and, you know, safety at sea and all those courses. I actually left as a qualified launch captain. And with the, with the intention of working in like what you call the Merchant Navy and have a singing career, a sidekick. Okay. Uh, you know, but when I sent out applications and stuff, you know, I... Nothing came out of I guess it might have been my bad spelling too. <laughs> but nothing nothing came out of the applications. And during that time, I just got into music and it became my thing. Right. Instead of being the sidekick, it became the mainstay. And um, I started recording with a band called, um, I started performing with Fireflight. That didn't last very long. And then, a gentleman by the name of Kenny Phillips, he gave me a call. Uh, he had a studio and he wanted a medley of some of the calypsos from the, from the previous year. Okay. So I went into the studio and I did it. And I don't think to date, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but I don't think to date there was ever a calypso medley that got that kind of airplay. This thing was playing all day on every station. And by now we have a lot of radio stations. Right. You know? And lo and behold, I got a call from Kiskidi Records, which was a new record label just started in Trinidad, and they said they wanted to give me a contract. And this thing was just happening like that. Wow. You know, so I got a recording contract. And just as I signed, the owner of one of the biggest bands in Trinidad pulled up in front of my house and said he wanted me to be lead vocalist of the band because wow. their lead vocalist just left. So I said, well, I just signed a recording contract. You know, and I, I I don't think I'll be able to record with two different labels. So he said he'll talk to the owner of the label, and they came to an agreement. So I was probably the first entertainer in Trinidad recording um, on two different labels. So I was recording on the Kiskidi label and the JW label, you know, putting out songs on both labels. And my stay with uh, my stay with. Uh, Atlantic and my stay with Atlantic lasted two years. 
and then I went solo and from there never looked back yeah. <laughs> it was wow. just you know I after a while I left and I went to Canada to live um I went to Canada to live and and started recording there met a guy by the name of Eddie Bullen and I did my first smooth jazz record smooth jazz R&B right. record and it was yep. really good um I think one of those songs went on to be on the Canadian jazz charts and it's it was just a it was just a wonderful ride the right. whole music thing for me was just a really wonderful ride and um yeah that's, yeah, that's my journey right there and mm-hmm. so that first um that set that you talked about that you you know really felt like was played everywhere what was that called again you said it was uh, that was kp kp's like letter k like in kingston yep. and p like in philip mm-hmm. kp's sunshine band um that was the first one the first compilation he did one after with another person but that okay. was the first compilation he did kp sunshine band and so that was some of your first like Early first recordings, work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And is that still available, recorded, do you know? I, I think it should be. Yeah. Um, hmm. um, I, I recorded with Fireflight before. My first ever recording was a song called Me Neighbor, M-E-H, Neighbor. Uh-huh. But you know what? I don't know if that's even available. I, I've tried finding it, but I couldn't find it anywhere. You know? Yeah. But um, my, my, my early recordings would have been with Kelly Phillips. Okay. And then from there, it just went on. So tell me, like, so when you were in the Coast Guard, right, you performed mm-hmm. in the Coast Guard and, and for people who were in the service. Then when you left, I, I'm trying to get the geography right. Did you perform mm-hmm. in Trinidad for a while? So that a lot of that was oh, in Trinidad. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. In Trinidad. Um, rec- um, perf- recording and performing with Atlantic and with Kiskidi Records. Right. And how was that? Like, like can you describe what that was like a show was like in Trinidad at that time. (laughs) (laughs) i tell you what, Um, the whole atmosphere now is not the same because I remember back then performing to 35, 40,000 people. Wow. I kid you not. And this is one show. This is in one show and you have bands like meeting like, Different bands. We had bands from Jamaica, from St. Vincent, from Barbados, from Trinidad, from Guyana, because it's Trinidad and Tobago Carnival. So all these bands come down and there was this one fete called Brass Festival. You know, this one huge party, we call it a fete, this huge party called Brass Festival. And you're performing to thousands and thousands of people. And it's just, it's the energy. There's nothing to describe that energy, to compare that energy to. It's crazy, you know, when, you know, people are drinking and and having a good time and flags are waving <laughs> and, you know, be walk with your flag to represent your area. And uh-huh. it's, oh, my God, it's crazy. That sounds awesome. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that sounds like a, a really fun point in your life and, and a lot of, um, a it lot was, of great memories. It was, yeah. So, it was, yeah. I had a question. So I think I saw that... You had a nickname too, right? They called you Doggy. Is that right, or that is well, that what you from, were from 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 school? From since I was in in, uh, in primary school, because my name is Douglas. You know, they say hey, Dougie. I you see. Know, so Dougie Dougie was my nickname growing up. I see. You know. So is that how you would say Doggy? You would say Dougie. Yeah, yeah. From Douglas, you know, right, it's, it's right, not right. really Doggy. It's yeah. more Dougie. You know. Okay. Yeah. So. 
Um, and that was my name and my nickname until Anselm became a very popular household name. And then I was called, hey, Slim. Right. Slim. Hey, Slim. What's going on, Slim? I'm not, I'm not particularly slim anymore, right. but yeah. it, was, uh, it was slim, you know? That seems yeah. to be. Yeah, I can get that. Um, so that's fantastic. It sounds like a lot of fun. And I guess one of the questions that I had was certainly mm-hmm. being the dog watch and all that. I know the song that you wrote, the Who Let the Dogs Out, which um, sort of I understand the hook came from sort of something that was floating around in the in the ether right that your brother-in-law mm-hmm, had mm-hmm. mentioned and and had as a as a part of their intro etc and a conversation right. came up like hey you should do something with that song where was yeah. that was that when you were in trinidad or no that, that was, was in, in toronto canada. yeah because yeah, i okay. was married i was married in canada okay. and uh you know, my ex-wife kind of reminded me of that the other day. She says, you know what? You always leave me out of this story. <laughs> uh, you know, I hate you. <laughs> she, she didn't say that, but you know. She said, you always leave me out of this story. I said, what do you mean? She said, you you, you, you're not getting it right. I said, what happened? She said, well, it was years ago, but this is how the story actually went. I said, okay, I'm listening. I'm all ears. She said, Daryl, my brother, ask you to come in the studio and do an ad for one of his parties. I said, okay. And the hook line for the ad was, you had to say, who let the dogs out? Hmm. You know, I said, okay, that sounds familiar. Yeah. And she said, after that, I keep telling you, why don't you do a song with that? And I said, well, I can't do a song with it. It's Daryl who introduced me to that. You know, so she started to talk to Daryl. I want Anderson to do a song with this. And she said, he said, for sure, that's cool. So then he started coming to the house now saying, who let the dogs out? And I'm like, man, that wouldn't work. It's, it's not, it doesn't sound like soca music. It wouldn't work. And he went on like that for months until I said, you know, okay, 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 okay. Right. I'll do it. Okay, I'll do it, you know. And I did it. Right. <laughs> so she was, she was correcting me and showing me. The role she played, right. she said, you always leave me out. And right. I think it's on purpose. I said, girl, I, I'm, I'm too old to do that stuff. <laughs> so, <too> old. <laughs> so that's an interesting part of this uh, of the story. And then, so how does it get from Daryl sort of is saying, who let the dogs out when he comes into the house, to mm-hmm. writing this particular song? Not the, the chorus, right? So much has been talked about that particular chorus. I get it. And, yeah. but why, like... What was going on at the time, or why did you choose the lyrics you did, and to to base it around what you what you based it around that well, that being the it, verses? I, I I wanted to create verses that because I'm a, I'm a party person, I'm a party vocalist, right? Right. I, I I do party music, but I don't think party music has to be nonsensical. And at the time, men were calling women skettle. Hmm. You know, and skettle is a derogatory term that you'd use for a woman who you won't you won't want to introduce your mom to. Right. <laughs> you won't bring her you won't bring her home to mommy, for sure. So men were calling women skettle. Like you call a girl on the street and she doesn't pay you any mind, you say, Yeah, you old skettle hmm. in that kind of tone, you know. So that was going on. I thought, you know, this is a good time for women to women already call men dogs. So I said, you know what? Let me build something around that. And so it was a man-bashing song, because if you listen to the lyric, there's a part of the lyric that says, um, 
Um, last year in the dance, you had a ball. You called me Millibug and Skettle. The were Millibug is an insect that, that preys on fruit trees, you know, and destroys yeah. fruit trees. So men were calling women Millibugs and all sorts of stuff, you know, derogatory yeah. terms. She said, get back, Fluffy, mash Fluffy. Get back, you flea-infested mongrel. Who let the dogs out? Like, meaning... Who the hell? Let, where did you come from? What, what rock you crawled from? You know, like in that kind of tone, who let the dogs out? You know, the chorus was so strong that, Mike, I kid you not, the verses went over everybody's head. They didn't care. They didn't care. <laughs> well, I, I have to admit that, especially as a, as a younger person, they went over mm-hmm. my head too until... You they know, went over I, your head, yeah. I, I, I mean, like, like most verses often do but mm-hmm. there's an importance in music of having verses that mean something etc and it seems it like says something yeah yeah it seems like that was a really important to you how did it feel to you that in many ways the verses did go over people's head and it became sort of just a party anthem um that may not have contributed in that way or or at that time at least i had mixed emotions because i was happy that the song was such a big song in the caribbean a huge song in the Caribbean. and um, But I was sad that, you know, people didn't pick up on it, even though, I kid you not, during that carnival season in Trinidad, which would have been 1998, February, around, around February of 98, you could not find a dog collar at a hardware store or at a pet store. They were all bought out. <laughs> and, and women, women were walking to parties with their man, in, in, with a with a leash on their neck. Like I, I, this is for real. Like, I'm on. serious. I'm not even making this stuff up. I'm not even making this up. People would be women and men were walking around with dog colors, and women were holding them coming to the parties because it was such a big song. Huh. Who let the dogs out? It was just fun. Yeah. Everybody was having fun. Yeah. So men didn't feel threatened by it. Women didn't get. The fact that I am championing, I'm, I'm, I'm in their corner rallying around them. So it was just, you know what? Let's just have fun with it. And, right. and we, we all did. We yeah. all did. And I guess, you know, one of the things that is funny about it in some ways is that it, do, it did just become a, a party song, right? And, and mm-hmm. also, I'm, one of the reasons I was interested in talking to you is that often art or music has multiple layers to it, that there yeah. might be something on top. But I'm interested in that story of, you know, it seems like you really felt strongly about bringing that to the fore, mm-hmm. that you saw something mm-hmm. and wanted to say something about it, which is still yeah. going on today, right? And it's useful <laughs> for people to recognize and, and take a step back and understand what the lyrics mean and what they don't mean. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if I had a premonition, if, but... If you follow in the lyric of the song, by the third verse, is exactly what happened in, in real life. Um, it says, now I tell myself, men will get angry. A-E-P-I-O. Um, because the girl's calling them K-9. But they told me that it's part of the party. It's a woman in front and a man behind with a woman in front and a man behind. It's like, who let the dogs out? So explain that. Like, I, I read that verse over a, a number of times in the last week or two. And I'm trying to understand okay. exactly what you meant by that. So, 
I am okay. Let, let's let's go through the verses, which yep. I've, I've never had Great. the opportunity to go through. Right, I'd so love the to. Verses let's says, do it. The party was nice. The party was pumping. Now, party there is just being metaphorical. It says basically things were great. Things everybody was happy, right? Right. Life was good. So we're using the word party, not necessarily meaning a party. You know. So the party was nice. The party was pumping. A yippee and everybody's having a ball. Until the men start their name calling, then the girls respond to the call. Remember, the men started their name calling before with Skettel right. in real life, you know. And then the girls respond to the call. I heard a woman shout out, "Who let the dogs out?" Last year in the dance, you had a ball. You called me Millibug and Skettel. Get back, Fluffy. Mash, Fluffy. Get back, you flea-infested mongrel. Right. Right. Then the second verse comes around. The second verse says, "The ban." had to wheel and pull down the music. Right, I now remember. The band had to wheel, the band, if that's playing music, had to wheel and pull down the music. To wheel, when somebody says wheel, means to break it down. You know, James Brown used to say that, break it down, and the band okay. would just get low. So the band had to wheel and pull down the music um, because the thing was getting out of hand. Um, everybody started singing the song now. So, it, so it, it, we, we, I was in my mind. I was thinking, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Everybody started singing from the DJ to the barman because the party is singing, and the band had to stop their music now because the party singing. Who let the dogs out? And then the third verse comes and says, "Well, now I tell myself the men will get angry because the girls are calling them canine, but they told me that is part of the party." It's a woman in front and a man behind. So there's there's a hint of smut right in there, hidden right in there. Um, you know, because they say, um, I tell myself these, these men should be angry, and they say, no, that's part of the party. And the dance, the, the dance at that time became, which kind of still is, uh, is a woman in front and a man behind. So he's he's kind of dancing on her behind. But that's very much like how dogs have intercourse so it's a little right. smutty right there right there kind of slipped in some yeah okay so yeah. but so the the girls hear them call um girls calling them canine right so mm-hmm. the concern is whether the men are going to get angry because the women are responding calling them canine yeah but they told me the men told me that's part of the party it's a woman in front and a man behind so the men are dismissing it is that it yeah, the men are dismissing it. They don't care. That's part of the party. It's okay. They could call us what they want. It's a woman in front and a okay. man behind. Okay. You know, so, hmm. which is exactly what happened in real life. Yeah. I didn't know it would have turned out that way, but the song I was see. written that way and and life just kind of copycat, picked up on it. Right. So just so I understand, make sure I understand what you, what the song says and what you're saying is that in the music and the lyrics, the women responded and said, you know, get get back, you flea-infested mongrel. Infested which mongrel, is yeah. quite a turn. I like that yeah. uh, so much. Um, but then the um, sort of the narrator, you're worried that they're going to get angry because mm-hmm. the women are responding. But then the men didn't care. They're just like, it's still, we're still men. We're still We're still men. Are we cool? Men are dogs. Yeah, we're all right with that. <laughs> you know? Right. And, and, and it was okay from there on. Right. Hmm. And you, when you say that that's kind of what happened, you mean even though he wrote this song and, and actually in society, there's still a lot of this stuff going on. No, what, what happened was I wrote the song 
Of course, the song was created before anybody heard it. So now that they're hearing the song, life starts to depict art because now the song is there. And when I'm thinking, well, okay, men will get angry. They, they didn't care. And they started to behave the exact way that the song kind of predicted that they would uh-huh. without my knowledge. Right. You know, they were behaving the same way. We don't care. We're having fun. But that was written before they even heard the song. So, <laughs> right, right. so they were just behaving like the way the song was written. So it right. was cool. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. It must That must have been an interesting part of it for you to, to sort of see that unfold. It was, but at the time I didn't even understand the depth of it. I was like, but as, as you go, as, as time went on, you start to unmount the song and see what society is doing with it. You realize, wow, this was kind of predicted in the song itself. You know, and they just acting out the song. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, there are a couple other things. Uh, this, so you sang this song and, and you said that you sort of had, it had its own life, right, for you mm-hmm. in Trinidad, yeah. et cetera. And so you would travel from Toronto or whatever and down to Trinidad to Carnival to, to play it, et cetera, right? And then obviously yeah. it went on and had a, had a second life and a third life or whatever. Um, it, it just keeps going. Yeah. But I, I'm mm-hmm. actually interested in sort of, I had one sort of retroactive question and just to clean up uh, as far as very, generally about dogs right because i'm interested in Mm -hmm. sort of how people think about dogs where dogs exist and i mean certainly in parts of the caribbean especially you mentioned that you know people pet shops that are sold out of pet collars but where you know in trinidad etc where a lot of the dogs what they call village dogs like that weren't Mm -hmm. for owners or were dogs um largely owned by people in around where you had lived and where you performed what do you remember or do you have a sense yeah, well, you know, we, we all had dogs growing up. Um, the thing about it is it wasn't as, and it was a kind of shock to me when I came to Canada and saw how people had their dogs as part of their family, you know, like really part of their dog is part of their family, like for real, you know. Um, it wasn't like that in Trinidad. Yeah. Um, your dog was your pet, and that, that's what it was, a pet, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and in most cases, you just had a dog. Your dog never go to the vet. Your dog, it was just a dog. And, you know, your dog would interbreed with other dogs. So there was no, I have a thoroughbred here and I have a this and I have a that. You just had a, a dog, a mongrel. Right. And that was your, that was your pet. Um, I, I had one dog in my life. And, um, well, I call it mine. It was really the family dog. And um, uh, the little child uh, was playing and fell on the dog playing with the dog and fell on the dog while it was pregnant. And yeah, and the pups, we didn't, you know, in those days, you're not going to take your dog to the vet and all that stuff. So by, we saw it and she seemed to be fine at first. And then the next morning we got up, she was dead. Oh, wow. And I never had another after that, you know, Um, my mom, my mom cried and fainted when, when her name was Cannon. When (laughs) Cannon died, she fainted. She cried and she cried and she cried and we buried Cannon and, yeah. That was the end of that, you know. That was the end of that. I never mm-hmm. had another dog. Wow. Yeah. Well, let, let's turn to your current work. I'm interested in sort of you, have to, you know, earlier we talked about a lot of your um, work on R&B, et cetera. And now it seems like you've mm-hmm. transitioned and to more R&B soul, um, 
smooth yeah. jazz, et cetera. How, how has that transition happened? And I'm wondering what the musical connections are between the types of music um, that you can see. The, well, let's just start with the, from the back first. There, sure. There's no musical connection between them, except that they're all music. But there's no connection between soca music and R&B, or okay. soca music and smooth jazz. I just, because of being exposed to so many different genres and growing up, I always liked the Peebo Brysons and the James Ingrams and the the um, the Aretha Franklins and and you know the Gladys Knights and all all those kind of people. And um, it kind of came to me. So when I started right. writing, you know, I, I'm and I'm a storyteller. Right. You know, I am a storyteller. So my songs, all of them, have some sort of story. And it's, it's leading into something. It's not just a bunch of hook lines put together and say, okay, this is a song, you know, because I heard a, a gentleman, he, he passed quite recently. He said, um, write, reading and writing goes together. So if you're writing a song, you're supposed to be able to read your song. Hmm. And it's supposed to make sense lyrically when you read it. It must make sense. You can't write a song and when you go to read it, it's like, this doesn't even make sense. Right. You know, which we see a lot of happening today. People just putting a bunch of hook lines together and it sounds good. And, and you know, but lyrically it doesn't say anything. It doesn't. Right. And maybe that's a style and I'm, I'm not here to knock anybody and, and how, how their creative juices flow. But for me, I am a storyteller. I believe if you, you know, when I was little and looking at Sesame Street to talk about it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Right. You right. know? So my writing must start somewhere and it must end somewhere. You know, I, and I, I worked, I, I worked on my craft and I think every time I, every time I record, I think it's becoming better and better. And, you know, uh, it wasn't very difficult. The transition was not a difficult one because I've been doing that style of music all my life also. Even before I started doing soca music. Yeah, um, I had to. To I was doing I was doing this 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 R and B and soul music as it were back in the seventies. It was doing soul music, you know, and which I was in love with. So yeah. it's interesting. I wouldn't have necessarily picked that up from some of the you know reading and and research I did about kind of your music that. It sounds like your early mm -hmm. music, as you'd mentioned, w was a pretty wide group of of influences, and then yeah. you've just performed different types and written about different types, and now you're working on sort of the soul um, work. And it sounds I also read on your website that you're in New York or that you're recording it, or you have been recording in New York. I didn't realize you were there mm -hmm. now um, with the yeah, producer I'm, I'm from Brazil, here, yeah. right? Is that so? You're working mm -hmm. on an album, is that right? Yeah, the album is finished now. It's, oh, it's done. done. We we yeah, we're done and now we're just looking to do the shopping, the marketing and all that stuff. I always tell people, you know, to write a song, and I'm not making light of what I do, but to write a song going to the studio is kind of the easy part. Hmm. To to get six million people to like it, that's hard. <laughs> <laughs> that's hard. That's so, the hard part. So know? when do we get to hear it? Do you is that once you've got the arrangements made, et cetera, that it comes out or do yeah, you tease it? Yeah, first, because you or? don't want you, yeah, because you don't want to put out stuff out there and then you know, I'm let's say I'm putting out stuff on my own and then somebody picks up on it 
based on negotiations and say, okay, I'm, I'm, I want to do a, a deal with this song. Then you realize, wait, but this song is out there already. Right. You know, so you, you kind of like to hold it close to your chest until, yeah. I mean, there's some people who heard it, the relevant people who heard it, because you, we have an EPK, my electronic press kit, that we've sent out to um, a few labels, uh, you know, we, we're slinging some mud on the wall and hopefully <laughs> something sticks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you have a sense of how long it would be like before we could hear something about of the new album or is it just I, I, depend? I, I, I believe by the fall. I believe by the fall. We want to, okay. if nothing happens with any major labels or any independent labels, we're going to just release it on our own on social media and start okay. from there, do our videos and start okay. a wicked from there. All right. Yeah. Because it's good material. It's good music. Yeah. Oh my God. I can't wait. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you about one other single that you um, put out is the break that cycle, right? So you have that on your mm -hmm. website and um, yeah. I'm curious how that relates. Um, and especially I found that interesting because it, it, it's a through line yeah. from it's not exactly like some of the lyrics in who let the dogs out, but it's a similar mm -hmm. message. So can you say something about kind of how that song came about and, and what you were hoping to say there? Break that cycle is exactly that, you know. There's a cycle of violence that happens, domestic violence, spousal abuse, you know, that, mm -hmm. that's that been going on for centuries now where mostly men um, being naturally the stronger, the more physical of, of the sexes, we we tend to take advantage of, of the fairer sex. We, you know, we bully, we bully them. Yeah. That's, that's, that's mm -hmm. yeah, we bully them. We, and we don't realize that, we're supposed to love them and take care of them, you know, yep. as they take care of us, yep. you know, but we bully them. And, and I, I think habits are learned. We, we, we grew up in it and we think that's okay to do, but I've, I've never seen it as something, I think it's kind of a sick thing for a man to look at a woman and punch her in the head and then, then say, you see what you made me did? You know, I love you. You, you, you don't hurt the things you love. Yeah. So I, I was always, kind of dis it was always disturbing to me to see or to hear of you know a man you know beating his wife you know or, or being abusive to his wife be it verbally abusive because you know what I'll tell you something and judging from your situation with with, with which happened prior where you had to run off a little bit I know you're married and you have <laughs> kids am. right yeah they do yep right and I am sure that at some point in your marriage, in your relationship, you and your wife won't agree on everything. You know, you, you, you won't. No, you won't. It, it hasn't happened I've been yet. Married but... too. Yeah, uh, no, you won't agree. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, you won't agree on everything. Yeah, right. But people need to get to that point of maturity where they can agree to disagree. And yeah. I know it's kind of cliche to say that, but... We, we need to get to that point where we can argue in the spirit of love. Right. You know, I, I, because if, if I'm arguing with my wife, I'm not trying to hurt her. I'm probably just arguing to get my point across. Right. You know, but I'm not going to, in that argument to get my point across, I'm going to start to say derogatory things to hurt you because while I'm arguing, I, I love you. Right. <laughs> I right. do. And I, right. I don't want to hurt you. I, I'm just trying to get tell you why I paint the car red you know <laughs> yeah. i'm just saying yep. this is why i paint the car red and you know yeah. you wanted it blue and whatever but we the whole idea behind this song was to bring some sort of awareness that you know we should be we should be more loving to our spouses more yep. caring you know because 
life life goes by so quickly. Yeah. You know, you're a young man today and tomorrow, you know, your little girl who you who you was teaching to swim, you know, a few years ago, now she's saying, Daddy, this is my boyfriend. Yeah. You know, or, or your little son who you was teaching to, to catch a baseball in the front yard, he's saying, Daddy, this is my girlfriend. And you, you understand what I'm saying? Right, totally. They, they, grew up, they grew up so quickly. And remember, when they're growing up, you're growing old. Yeah. And, and and in the twinkle of an eye, you're an old man, you know, and you're sitting down talking with your friends and talking about, boy, remember when and remember when. I, I have come to terms with the fact that I'm in my 50s and I know, you know what, most of my life is behind me. Yeah. You know, and 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 whatever whatever is left up ahead, I want to live that. I want to live good. I want to live peaceably. I want to. Yeah. I want to have a good relationship. I want to treat my wife right. I want to. You know, you want to do that stuff because you, you've grown, you've matured. I've never, I've never been violent to a woman, but I am sure that there are areas where I could improve. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. you know. So the, this whole song, Break That Cycle, was about breaking the cycle of domestic violence, spousal abuse, you know, and, and learning to love the people you say you love. Yeah. Because love is a verb, man. Yeah. Love is a verb and mm-hmm. we need to show it. You can't just talk it, you know. Right. Well, I appreciate that perspective. And I also think, you know, I'm glad that you wrote that song and that more people people who stand up and and Mm -hmm. say those things, especially men um, in these situations, the better it is. And the more that we do that, the more that people hopefully will will take note of that, especially people who have a public presence like you do. So good, yeah, good on yeah. you. And I'm really, um, that, that's a, a special thing. And I think for me, it, it's a consistent, right? That like, yes, the dog who let the dogs out became a party song and that's okay or whatever. But, mm-hmm. but that was, that other part is there, right? That that is part of what is, it, there's part of that in the story of who let the dogs out too. Yeah. And I yes, think that's important yes, to yes. not miss that there's a consistent uh, message there. And I, I'd appreciate that too. So, yeah. well, uh, Anselm, I want to be respectful of your time, but I also, I have kind of one last question that, that builds off that kind of getting, you know, you're saying you're kind of moving in a different part of your career. Well, I, I have the children's book that's out there. That's called The Adventures of Spin and Scratch, which I think is a really, really exciting book once you get into it. Um, it's, it's a quick read. You know, I think it's about 17, 18 chapters. It's, it's a quick read, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I can tell you briefly what it is about. Yeah, tell um, me. If you don't mind. Sure. So this this book is about a woman who left Trinidad when she was a young woman in her early 20s and came to the U.S. on a work visa as a nanny. And she raised um, the, the kids of a very affluent family. She was there. She raised the kids. And she became part of the family kind of way, you know. She raised the grandkids also. But she had her own apartment in Brooklyn, her own home Brooklyn. But while she was working all these years, she never went back to Trinidad. But she saved her money and built a beautiful home in Trinidad for when it was time for retirement. Huh. So she's now at home in her Brooklyn apartment telling her next door neighbor. She's now telling her her best friend, the next door neighbor, Jamaican woman, that she is at that age of retirement. Now she's going back home because she has nieces and nephews that she's never seen and they've grown. Unknowing to her though, Mike, there's a family of mice living in the walls of her Brooklyn apartment. <laughs> and the mother mouse overheard that conversation. And she had to go and disturb. She got very, very, she was distraught by this whole thing uh-huh. because it's like, whoa, 
Auntie Ruby is moving back to Trinidad. So she went and she told her sons, Spin and Scratch, who were practicing their martial arts. She disturbed their martial arts practice and told them, look, Auntie Ruby's going back to Trinidad. If she's gone, I don't know how I'm going to feed you guys. So she came up with this master plan to store them away and she hid them in the toe portion of one of Auntie Ruby's shoes when she was packing her suitcase to go back to Trinidad. And lo and behold, these two mice end up in the Caribbean, end up in Trinidad. And that's where the adventure began. Wow. All right. I got to check it out. I got to check it out. <laughs> yeah. And then now I'm working on, on um, I, just, I just got the, the, the proofread version of um, Andrea Turner. Andrea Turner is a story. I don't want this to get mixed up. Andrea Turner is a story of who let the dogs out. Okay. Not the story, a story. And, and, you know, and from your perspective, or it's just a, a story that you've written around it? I just cre- I just created a story about who let the dogs out, but it is not the story. Cool. Because the story of who let the dogs out is what we just discussed. The story of who let the dogs out, how, writing the song, recording it, putting it out, how big it was in Trinidad, all that stuff. That's, that's the story. Right. But I'm writing a story of who let the dogs out, which deals with an army veteran who was homeless and he met this dog in a back alley, and and she was having pops, and he named her Missy. Uh, it was was a, a dead end back alley behind the the back doors of two restaurants, and um, he kind of made there his home. You know, he and Missy uh-huh. became friends because he offered her a piece of his sandwich that he got from one of the homeless shelters earlier uh-huh. in the day, and and they became friends, and she uh-huh. had pops and. He sort of became the veterinarian, makeshift vet, and delivered the pups and, and you know, sorted them. And, and there was one one of the three pups called, uh, that he called Turner because he was twisted and turning. He was the only boy, male pup. And he and Turner became really close and he would take him to all the, 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 the soup kitchens and all of that around the city. And um, so Turner became very familiar with the city and all the back streets and shortcuts and the parks and all of that. Huh. And one day, well, this is this is a much longer story, but I'm trying to go through it as quickly as possible. It's okay. One of the owners of the restaurant did not like him, or did not like him in the back there. So that owner pumped a heap, a vulgar amount of money into an election, and the guy who he was rooting for won the local election as a councillor in the area. And now the councillor, along with him, had this clean-up campaign and the back alley was one of the areas that needed to be cleaned up. Mm. So now Turner and Andre and Turner, they're out going to the soup kitchen and stuff, hanging out and all that stuff during the day. This Friday. And by the time they got back, everything was gone. The dog catchers came and took them. Um, his his army gear and his makeshift tarpaulin tent, everything was gone. Huh. The back alley was washed down with power hose and everything. And he just went crazy. So he, he found out that his dogs went to the pound and he went to the pound and he was shaking on the door and the police arrested him. And, and you know, it was just... But at the end, it worked out really well for him. Okay. Because, yeah, it, 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 it's a cool book. I think I think it's going to be a good read. You know, so hopefully uh, this book now, because I have that and I have another children's book called My Name is Mia, which is what you call a picture book. You know, they're one-liners about my little niece called Mia. Right. The same one I went to pick up 
and I wasn't supposed to pick her up today. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I wrote, I wrote, a, I wrote a one-liner about her. You know, hi, my name is Mia, and UPI am four. I love to visit my grandma. She takes me to the store. That uh-huh. kind of stuff, you uh-huh. know. Um, with so, those pictures of Mia and, and all that stuff. So those two, we're trying to see if we could get, shop it to yeah. this company in Jersey and hope that they would they would buy it. And right, you know, let's see how it goes from there. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm really excited for you, and I really think it's awesome that you're doing both the you know some of your major music project, but also exploring these other things. I'm I'm excited to hear yeah. about that and to see it. It's fantastic. I'm wondering, kind of. You know, as you think about your past contributions and your future projects, et cetera, how, you know, kind of how you feel like your contributions, how you want them to be remembered or how, how you want them to, you know, have had or have impact. Um, and I know we've talked a little bit about that, but I'm just curious kind of how you think about that as you get kind of get further into your career and, and sort of think about that in a little different way, like you were mentioning. Uh, I... I... You know, I. The reality is, we're all gonna die and leave our works behind. That's, yeah. that's just that's just a fact of life. Yeah. You know, and I, I am hoping that my music I'm remembered as somebody who was always who has always been true to the music and understand that the player never gets bigger than the game. You know, you. So I I, I love music, and when I'm doing it, I try to give it the best that I can. Sometimes it doesn't come out the way, it turns out the way I had it in my head or how I had it in my heart, but I, I, I always hope that my message in the music, you know, finds it. You know, it's like water. Water will always find a way to just get to where it has to get, through a crack, through a crease, through a crevice. It will. So I, I am hoping that my music is, is, is water-like, where by whatever means it gets to that place where people could appreciate it even long after I'm gone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I love that. And I think it has, right? Like so far it's touched so many people and continues mm-hmm. to. And I'm really excited about this new album and the new work that you're, you're up to and how that's going to do the same thing. So what's the best right. way for people to access your music and get to know more about you? Well, they can check me out on social media, and okay. um, you know that's that's where it is now. Um, what we what we trying to do something? I'll be honest with you. Um, my Facebook page been growing like crazy. Instagram, on the other hand, it's been kind of you know lethargic and and huh. just moving at its own pace. Hmm. Um, mainly because Instagram, it's a younger demographic, and people who are following me, they're slightly more mature. Right. You know, yeah, and we're trying to really target that younger demographic also because what the music that we're doing now could appeal to it, it's timeless music, right? You know, it's 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 not the music you're going to hear in a club or in a pub. It's it's timeless, and um, we should make it as mainstream as possible. So you can find me on um, on. Anselmmusic.com. And it's my it's my web page. It's not right. really a website, it's a web page. You go yep. there and you will get access to everything from you just click on, on the icons, be it Spotify, be it uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, you name it. Okay. <laughs> SoundCloud. Uh, yeah. all, all all the stuff is there. Yeah. All the stuff is right there. That's you fantastic. Know? What's your handle on Instagram? And, uh, at Anselm Douglas64. 
And from Douglas 64. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah, I will, yeah. that's a good one. And, um, you're also on Facebook and have your, your, um, Anselmmusic.com, which is one mm-hmm. I've been to a lot too. So, yeah. well, so, it, you know, it, it's been an absolute pleasure to get to know you. And I wanted to thank mm-hmm. you so much. Thank you very for, much sharing so much about your life and music and, and just for spending some time with us on the dog watch. So thank you so much, Anselm. Uh, and what I'm, what I'm going to do for your ears only, I'm going to send you a track of the album, you know, for your listening pleasure. So wow. you, can, you can always email me back and let me know what, what your thoughts uh, are, you know? Really? Uh, oh, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to send you one. I'm going to send you, yeah, oh, gonna send you a track of the album. I, that is just All makes right? me so happy. And All right. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you so much, yeah. Thanks again to Anselm for sharing his voice and experiences with us today. Don't forget to check out his webpage, anselmmusic.com, his book, The Adventures of Spin and Scratch, and keep your eyes out for his upcoming book, Andre and Turner, The Who Let the Dogs Out Story. If that's not enough, he also has a new R&B soul album that he just recorded in New York with Brazilian producer Sandro Albert. I've had the opportunity to hear an advanced track, and this is going to be a fantastic album. Our music credits today are Two Days by none other than Anselm Douglas, and the Dog Watch theme is Whiskey on the Mississippi by Kevin McLeod, courtesy of Creative Commons. Until next time, I'll leave you with the rest of the track, Two Days, And this is Michael Canfield thanking you for joining us on the Dog Watch.